0: We'll Hey, welcome back to the Relentless Positivity Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Martin. We've got another awesome guest for today. Today, my guest is Jonathan McLernan. This man has lived a thousand lives already. So let me just, <laughs> let me just leave, read you a couple of his uh, resume items here. So he's been a nanotechnology technology research chemist, a Navy Marine engineer, a power line technician, nutrition and supplement, supplement store owner. Plus, he's lived in 45 countries on five continents. And currently, he's an online nutrition coach and business mentor. And he has a great story to tell. Coach John, thanks for coming on, man
1: hey thank you so much just one minor detail i haven't i've only lived in seven countries but i've been to 45 countries so
0: okay. I, oh my bad hey you've been to more than i've even you know seen on a map so that's great. Uh, cool.
1: yeah that that was really awesome and thanks for having me and I, lo- I love what you're doing here with 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 the podcast and uh i'm, I'm already like wanting to give you a shout out just for your book because i love the philosophy of relentless positivity and i think that's one of the reasons why i wanted to be on here today
0: cool well, i appreciate you man i've been trying to get more canadians on as well so i mean that's that's my goal
1: that's awesome, man. <laughs>
0: I do, I do good in Canada. So, uh, so man, uh, so I've already, I've already told you, you how a crazy life. So let's just get into this. Let's start with this. So how did an attempted murder lead to you gaining weight?
1: Yeah. So, um, in our travels, we were living down in South Africa. Um, and we were, we were working for, um, a non-for-profit working with underprivileged youth on, on a nature reserve, um, in this, this place called Grahamstown. And, uh, one night, so the way, the way it was kind of laid out, it's, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, about 45 minutes from, from the, the city of Grahamstown, um, kind of in the yeah, middle of nowhere. And you've got like buildings kind of in an L-shape. So you've got on one end, you've got a dining hall, a dormitory, the washrooms, and then tucked off to the side, you've got the instructor's cabin. And I was walking back one night um, from the dining hall um, to the instructor's cabin. And this was, it was nighttime. Everyone was in there having dinner. I'd finished my dinner a bit early. I was going back to our cabin to, to kind of relax. And uh, when I got there, the door was slightly ajar, and that should have, you know, I say it should have, something should have like made me go, oh, that's not right. Like the the door has been jimmied, but I didn't, and I just opened the door and there's three guys in there and uh, they were were sitting at the table eating these rusks, which are these hard biscuits, these South African biscuits, that they dip in tea. And again, it still didn't immediately like twig that, you know, something's off here. Um, I didn't see the fourth guy outside the door. Anyways, these guys, they, they, he hit me over the head with a rock and um, they, they all jumped up and like jumped me and just basically started stomping me and trying to beat me to death um, legitimately uh, because that's one of the things that they do down there. And uh, so that that's kind of it in a nutshell. There's more details, but I, I want to I move past sort of the nitty gritty of that to say like, um, going through that experience was really, obviously it was traumatizing. And I wasn't really, and I don't know if anyone's ever really Mentally or emotionally prepared to go through an experience like that, to be faced with something like that. So because I was totally emotionally unequipped, um, trauma is a is a strange like it's a complicated beast, and you know you have thoughts entering your head and and stories and things. Just it's it's hell in your head. And so for me, I turned to food. I could have turned to drugs or alcohol, but I turned to food. And maybe in one sense it's a blessing disguise, uh, but I use food to medicate my trauma. Um, it was the tool I had. And uh, when it becomes the tool that stops you from basically reliving your trauma over and over again, I just kept eating and eating and eating. And I gained a lot of weight in a very short window of time. And so um, then kind of starts the the murky world of like weight loss and diet culture and, and like how the heck did I get here and how the heck do I find, find my way back? And so that's in a very short nutshell, what, what led to me like gaining a huge amount of weight and uh, really being unequipped to deal with it. And it started this journey that I've been on for, it'll be 10 years now.
0: Wow. So, you know, people talk about drugs and alcohol, you know, you can kind of avoid those a little bit. You can't avoid food. So when you have that as your addiction, yeah. man, that's, that's a super hard one that people don't really talk about really with trauma.
1: Yeah. And you know, you, you hit the nail on the head there. Um, You can stop drinking. I make it sound easy. I mean, you don't alcohol is not required um, for your day to day survival. Drugs are not required for your day to day survival. But I have to face food every single day. Um, You know, yes, you could fast for a day or two or a couple of days. But the reality is like almost every day you're going to encounter food, be offered food, be faced with food and that that really did like multiply the struggle. Absolutely. Especially when we live in a culture where we're in a a good way like food, we we use food as celebration a lot, you know, we we have all kinds of um, sort of family events and holidays and things like that which revolve around food so I say, uh, you'll never hear me say like food is just fuel. It's, it's history, it's culture, it's social connection, it's family connection, you know, and eating itself is an inherently enjoyable act. Um, But when as like a binge eating food addict, like eating is, is kind of like this tortured experience. Because on the one hand, you know, this, this food represents, this is an escape from like the pain that I'm feeling. But on the other hand, it's like this food is making me fat or keeping me fat and I can't seem to escape from that. And so, you know, I, would, I don't know if you've ever seen like a seagull, you know, swallow like an apple. It's crazy what seagulls can swallow. <laughs> yeah. um, but I would eat like that. I would eat like a starving man. Because on the one hand, like I wanted to eat as much as possible because it was, it was what I was using to medicate my trauma. But on the other hand, I felt so guilty about eating it. So if I ate it faster, I could sort of maybe get rid of the guilt. You, you know, it was just really like messy place to be emotionally. And uh, and then I took on the identity of like the jolly fat guy. Um, I think we like I did it because maybe I felt like this is a hopeless situation. Like I didn't know if I was ever going to lose the weight. I didn't know how I was ever going to get unstuck from this unhealthy you know, eating pattern, because a part of me like recognized it's not as though I'm stupid. It's not as though I wasn't aware that these were destructive or unhelpful behaviors, but it really felt like I was in the grips of something that was outside of my control. And so I adopted this identity of like the jolly fat guy to kind of to justify my behaviors and and sort of almost try to make it socially acceptable, how I was behaving around food. And uh, it it really just exacerbated the struggle even more ultimately. So, man.
0: Yeah. So. You talked about it. Earlier. You kind of you fell into this, you know, the diet and weight loss culture. You ended up losing a hundred pounds, but along the way, kind of what worked and what didn't for you along the way.
1: <laughs> um, <clears throat> pardon me. Well, man, like a lot of things didn't work, and ultimately, I see like a diet doesn't work because, and, and the research is pretty clear on this now. I think it's well established because it's it's a temporary change in behavior with the goal of achieving permanent results. And I understand the, what would I say, the allure of, of like fad diets, uh, because I tried a lot of them. Um, It's because we want to, like, I wanted to believe this promise, you know, that, that weight loss is quick and easy. Um, I really didn't want to come to terms with acknowledging the reality of weight loss, that permanent weight loss is actually quite challenging. So that led me to Um, Trying things from like, uh, you know, paleo and primal, uh, keto, raw food, vegan, um, just uh, along with like the master cleanse, which is crazy, like fast where you're, you know, drinking like cayenne and lemon and maple syrup and stuff, you know, going gluten free, going dairy free, that kind of thing, you know. I even got really into like, because I have a chemistry background, I got into high level nutrition and supplement science. I was a voracious reader of examine.com, which is a great resource by the way, but I was just, I was relentlessly reading it. I was in the supplement industry, you know, trying every supplement imaginable. Ultimately it was all these things were not addressing, what really needed to be addressed. And that's why they failed. Uh, You you know, the fundamentals, the biological fundamentals of losing weight are relatively simple, you know, and I say simple, which is not the same thing as easy. They're relatively simple, you know, we, we need to have an active lifestyle. We need to eat nutrient-dense food most of the time, which is you know your vegetables, lean protein, quality carbohydrates, that kind of thing. But how the heck do we do this in the 21st century? Like That's the challenge. How do we, how do we create a way of living in the 21st century that offers us like 24-7 convenience and comfort? And so um, in a nutshell, though, so all, all of these different diets and things, they were like cleanses, detoxes, Um, they're all attempts to solve the problem as quickly as possible so that I could go back to eating the way that i would eaten before. Like this idea that all I have to do is lose the weight. Then I can go back to enjoying myself around food. Well, that's a myth. Um, If you you can't create permanent change from temporary efforts. And so it was, it was when I finally hired a coach um, about four years ago. So six years of struggling, because people say, how long did it take you to lose a hundred pounds? And I say like six years, it was when I hired a coach that, that, Really created the space for me to start dealing with my relationship with myself. Who who didn't like shame me, didn't like beat me down, didn't guilt me or try to coerce me into doing things, but just asked really like challenging questions. But I knew that it was coming from a good place. And so I was, I was, I felt comfortable being vulnerable and answering and talking about my struggles. So he created that space for me to to, to be human, really. And that's that's the thing that really started creating this shift. Was me changing my relationship with myself, and then by extension, changing my relationship with with food. So it was it wasn't a diet, it wasn't a supplement, it wasn't even a particular exercise thing. It was actually me addressing my relationship with myself and the role that food is playing in my life at that time.
0: Wow. Yeah. People don't pe- people think about the mechanic side, right? Like, yes. so what, did, yeah. what did you What did you eat every day? You know, how did you exercise? But you you hit on the most important part. And, and part yeah. along that way, you've talked about it. How did you go from your you kind of a, the self hatred side to the self love side along that journey?
1: yeah and that's and you know it's so, so funny i some i think sometimes as a man um talking about this because i, I think in, in male or masculine culture we wouldn't really talk much about this or it's not very commonly talked about having feelings loving ourselves caring for ourselves and you know just to paint, paint a bit of a backdrop like um, I, I am an empath, um, I've always had big emotions and big feelings, it, as a kid I had temper tantrums but I didn't really understand what that meant. Um, but then going into kind of my my teen years, um, playing sports and things and you know trying to be a man or grow from a boy into a man and you know got to push these emotions down you got to be tough, got to be strong, got to be competitive, ugh, you know that kind of stuff. So I really fell into the pattern of, of ignoring or pushing down or hiding or being ashamed of emotions and and feelings. And uh, my wife used to tease me and call me the Tin Man, and it's not because I didn't have feelings; it's because I tried to keep them like deeply hidden and buried. So that pattern was already in place even before I was traumatized. So it was when when another man, my coach, like modeled for me in a sense what self-compassion actually looks like, that completely changed my perspective. And it was when he asked the question, you know, if you've ever heard me talk, you'll hear me ask this question. It was he said, Jonathan, if you make a list of all the things you love and value. How far down that list do I have to go before I see your name? And that one just like punched me in the gut. Yeah. (laughs) Because I was like, man, I'm not even on the list.
0: Hmm.
1: It, you know, it hadn't occurred to me that I'm allowed to be on the list of things I love and value, let alone somewhere near the top.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just, I just like to show it. Like feelings are real. I got the shirt on, man. It's right Yeah.
1: Here. <laughs> oh man. <That's, laughs> so I had that's, a,
0: a past guest, Little Orange Fish, great, great uh, mental health organization here in Huntsville, Alabama. That, um, yeah, just they talk about feelings are real, and we, we especially as men, we kind of are taught to ignore those. That, uh, you know, men don't yeah. cry, that type of stuff. Buck it up, rub some dirt on it. That's a big
1: one. I'm <laughs> be growing up, but you right, know, they, yeah. they're, they're
0: real, and they can go wrong on you as well if you don't address them, just like you saw.
1: Yeah. Um, you know. We're, we're, the site, like we're human beings. We're not robots. Emotions are a part of the human experience, whether you're male, female, or other, they're, they're a part of the human experience. And so to try to deny like a part of our very existence is going to turn it into a very tortured existence. You know, I say that we don't really choose our feelings, but they're kind of like, they're kind of like a check engine light. Mm-hmm. They let us know that something needs our attention and my way of dealing with it would be the equivalent of putting a piece of black electrical tape over that check engine light and thinking it wasn't a problem anymore
0: yeah turn the stereo up put the tape on there yeah
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) right yeah and so um when somebody when another male who he happened to be like a, a natural bodybuilder, um, really like excellent physique and in one sense, maybe I thought I was hiring him because I wanted to look like him because I was like, if I look like him, I'll feel better about myself or something like that, you know, and that's a myth, too. It it's not to say don't pursue like a nice aesthetic looking physique, but to think that happiness lies in that, like that's that's really kind of that's largely a myth as well. Sure. So when he treated me with compassion, he so I say he modeled the behavior that I was lacking. I didn't know how to treat myself with compassion. I didn't really know what compassion was. I mean, I've heard the word, but I think I just had this idea that it was a type of weakness. But, you know, if I could say, like, if I was to, if I was to treat a friend or my wife, like the way that I treated myself, I wouldn't have a marriage and I wouldn't have friends. That's... And so I had to think about that. I'm like why what what the heck was going on that, that like led me to that place like why did I struggle so hard with with self compassion and it's like. In one sense, I thought being like abusive towards myself, and it was abusive if I treated anybody else the way that I treated myself, it would very much be considered abuse. Um, but I can't we can't run away from ourselves, so it was like I was using myself as a punching bag for my difficult emotions and maybe I was like paying the penance or like paying the price for the crimes I'd committed, you know, these behaviors, out of control behaviors around food. Um, if I could just beat myself up and punish myself, I was, getting, I was I at least paid the price for my crimes. Um, maybe we would also say that like, I viewed self-compassion as weakness. Because uh, Here's the other thing is, is if we show ourselves compassion, what's gonna happen is we're gonna have to face some of the ugly truths about ourselves, the uncomfortable truths about ourselves. We're going to see our weaknesses. We're going to see our vulnerabilities. And because I had such a, such a disordered relationship with myself and my body, like I was, it was like I was trying to beat it or punish it in a submission. And because I had that disordered relationship to see those things that, you know, it brought up these like feelings of deep shame and guilt and so on. So it, it, it was really this messy struggle um, to work through this. But again, I, I, it, I can't reiterate enough how valuable it was to have another human being like to connect to where he allowed me to be all these things without judgment. Now, it wasn't that he let me off the hook. I, I, there's, a, there's a type of accountability. It's compassionate accountability. So he didn't use my struggles as a reason to beat me up or guilt me or shame me or anything like that. But he said, let's try to understand this. So if we can understand why this is happening, if we can bring this into your conscious awareness, you know, we can then create change. We can help you move forward from this.
0: Man, that's a huge difference. You know, you, you kind of I mean there's a lot of coaches that will going kind to of use that as a hammer you know they they mean well, but man they yeah. use that as a hammer and it just drives people completely the opposite way unfortunately
1: well, I think it's because we don't and I was like this as a coach pre previously like I used to be an athlete, and like prior to my own struggles, I just thought people that were like overweight were lazy or undisciplined I, I didn't I didn't understand the humanity of it because i didn't I didn't really struggle with it so it it never really sort of entered and so I would have coached the exact same way, you know. Buck yep. it up, you know, suck it up, uh, stop being a princess or something like that, you know, instead of trying to understand really what creates true, like genuine change in people.
0: Yeah, it's not a struggle for you. you just say, well, oh, just want you just eat a little less and exercise a little more and it'll take care of it, right? just Like
1: that, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, just so easy. <laughs>
0: yeah, so easy, man. What's wrong with you? Just do it. Yeah, be like yeah. Nike. So, let's talk yeah. about these. You know, people think about you know, we talk about the mechanics, about you know, it's the food thing, it's extra later. What are some non food and non exercise things that are crucial to
1: weight loss? That a lot of people might not know about. Uh, number one would be sleep, I think, in my books, yeah, uh, because it underpins like a couple of the other things that I'll touch on. Um, I believe it's at least one third of Americans, and it probably probably translates into Canada as well. So we could even say a third of North Americans are chronically sleep deprived. That is like a hundred million people, <laughs> like I sleep deprived. It. Yeah, I right. believe it. Yeah, that affects that affects our ability to uh, like our insulin sensitivity. And, you know, if we want to get nerdy, you know, like glucose, reg- you know, blood sugar regulation, that kind of thing. It affects how we you know store carbohydrates more likely as fat and so on. Um, but it affects our mental health. It affects our emotional health um it's it's when our body does like we think that we go to sleep and we just like pass out it's like no your body's going to work mm-hmm. your body's going to work building repairing regenerating restoring that kind of thing it's like super important um the other thing is that the one that, that like like i don't want say it scares me but i'm definitely mindful of is lack of sleep it accelerates the likelihood that you're going to experience neurodegeneration so alzheimer's or dementia because when we sleep is when our brain cleans itself. And again, it's a bit of a simplification, but essentially it's cleaning out some of the, the junk that if it accumulates in the brain will lead to some of these neurodegenerative conditions. So sleep is the like the fundamental, um, like I think foundation to our health. Paired with that really would be like stress management because that will affect how well we get sleep. Stress management doesn't happen passively anymore. So we live in a very, almost easy, convenient, physical life, potentially. We can get everything in the touch of a button. We can meet almost all of our needs without ever really getting your bum off a chair, except maybe to open the door for the, skip the dishes driver or something, you know. But I think we, we actually live in a more mentally and emotionally stressful world. It's not because life is harder, but because we're constantly, like we're being exposed to negative and alarmist and emotionally triggering stimuli through digital media in a way that human beings never have before in human history, you know. Um, Yes, 100 years ago, when going into electricity life was probably harder, but mentally, like it's more, it's more taxing. And so because of that, we actually have to actively practice stress management. Um, and, and one of the simplest ways we can do that is, is really just through like a breathing exercise, we might call it meditation, but doesn't you don't even have to think about it as meditation, just some breathing exercises to really lower your your levels of cortisol, lower the activity of your sympathetic nervous system, just kind of bring you down a bit. And I think the third piece would be mindset. And I I know I think you'll you'll have quite a bit to share on this too, which is awesome. Mindset so and and there's probably many different ways that we could use this term mindset, I think part of it is our sense of identity who we see ourselves as. will dictate how we behave so when I saw myself as a jolly fat guy I behaved like that, because that was my sense of identity and if something threatened that sense of identity, I would rebel against it, you know, so I, I like to say well, how do we, how do we change like a belief or. Our sense of identity. So I have this analogy. Um, if you ever, if you were to go to a circus, maybe a hundred years ago, you might see like this big five or six ton elephant, like tied to a fence post, and you'd think, "Look at this big, magnificent, powerful beast tied to this little fence post. Why doesn't just rip it out of the ground and walk away?" Because when it was a little beast, when it was a little elephant, it was tied to that same fence post and wasn't strong enough to break free from it, and would try and try and try. Until it it just got this idea that I can't do this and never lost that idea. Well it's kind of like in in, in human terms, if your leg was tied to like one of those wooden landscaping stakes, you know, there may be four feet tall little one by two orange ribbon tied at the top kind of thing. And you're just walking around in a circle around that landscaping stake, and and really that's a metaphor for just a behavior pattern on repeat I can't break free from this, this is my existence kind of thing well, the first thing you do is is you take a small action that runs contrary to that belief about yourself like for me it was like i'm never gonna lose the weight so i'll be the jolly fat guy the first step is like i'm gonna i'm gonna make an attempt to do this and every step you take like it pulls the stake out of the ground every step you take um gradually weakens that chain until one day a link breaks and it falls away and that belief no longer so it's kind of built on taking and i i deliberately say small actions because if we try to take giant you know um I want to say like dopamine fueled, um, huge actions all at once. Like our brain can't handle that level of change and we'll rebel against it. But if we sneak it in under the radar in small incremental changes, we can bit by bit, step by step, day by day, um, break free from maybe a belief that's been holding us hostage.
0: That's awesome. Cause people think they have to you know, go from eating fast food every day to eating chicken and broccoli overnight. It's the only way, right? Yeah, (laughs) why why don't we just not eat out once this week? You know, start there, and it'd be amazing what you what can happen when you because you say, "Hey, I've got the control back. It's it's me now. It's not just the habit driving everything." So that's great analogy right there.
1: Yeah, and and you you hit on it too, the whole progress not perfection mindset. It's it's going to take more messaging around this to help people shift their own expectations. Because we've been conditioned to like when you start a diet, you just adopt all of these rules right away it's basically strapping yourself into a straitjacket and, and and hoping you're not going to want to fight your way out of it well. yeah you put any human in a straitjacket you're going to want to fight your way out of it like. And so that's that's us rebelling against a dramatic shift in, in our lifestyle and identity, but if we do it incrementally piece by piece, because this idea that if I if I take like if I do it in like these giant leaps it'll happen faster like, no, it won't. It's the tortoise versus hare scenario. Yeah. Like you, you actually want to be on team tortoise because they get to their goals faster and they stay there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I talk to people about, Hey, look, go to the gym in January and see what's going on. You know, everything there they're in for two hours and they're eating their chicken and broccoli every day. And then after two weeks, most of them are gone. Right. But the tortoise, he's still over there plugging away.
1: Yeah. And, and the other thing is maybe this idea that the journey of bettering your health is all suffering and misery. Like, that's not true. Yeah. It's it, man. It was, it was like, it was uncomfortable. Okay. Like very uncomfortable. In fact, being like hugely obese, but, um, the journey back wasn't all misery and suffering. Maybe I thought it was going to be because of the role that food played in my life because I had this like, extreme idea that I have to cut out all these things that are making me fat. I have to basically cut off what I'm using as a coping mechanism. And while well, I couldn't do that, I could only do it for so long because again, I hadn't addressed the root cause, but, the process of change, especially when connected to another human being, like through like, like a coach or a trainer or a therapist or something like that, like the process gets a lot easier, like it's I don't want to pretend it's, it's no, it's, it's hard. We were talking about the tunnel of sewage. Maybe we can we will dive into that a little bit later. It's not a comfortable process, but when you get connected to another human being to be with you in that process, it actually becomes enjoyable. That's
0: it. Yeah, which. Well, for some people sound so foreign, but it, it's true. I'm just telling you, you've got to go try it out. So you've mentioned a couple of times you, you're overweight and, uh, you're a precision nutrition guy. We both are something they, they talk about the value of crazy questions. So let me ask you this. What do you miss <laughs> about being 300 pounds or,
1: and plus? Well, I'd say being able to eat whatever I want, whenever I want <laughs> <laughs> there, there was, there was definitely a sense of excitement around meals because I, I, there wasn't really any restriction brought into it, there, you know, I would say being able to use food to cope with difficult emotions um, that's definitely it Uh, my appetite was a great conversation starter so people love to show hospitality with food, and I would show great appreciation for food. And so people would, would just give me all this food because they know how much I love and it would bring them joy to see how much I love the food. Um, it could be simple things like actually having a shelf to rest things on when I sat down or, or like entertaining people as the jolly fat guy. There was elements of it that were, that were good, right? Um, I, live in, I live in Canada, we have cold winters, um, lots of insulation to keep you warm. There you go. <laughs> right, so um, I, I share that because maybe it's tempting to think that losing weight is 100% positive, like the truth is there are some aspects of maybe my old self or my old life that I would miss. It's important to acknowledge that because I think we would do ourselves a disservice if we pretend that like weight loss is only ever going to be like these rainbows of positivity. Because the truth is it wasn't so easy to let go of some of these things. And and that's part of the reason why I probably struggled with um, self sabotage, trying to retreat back to the identity that was comfortable and familiar and had some good elements. Um, but I like. In saying all of that, I don't want people to get this idea that I'm not happier being well under 300 pounds, <laughs> because let's say there's things that I don't miss about being, you know, 330 pounds, like struggling to cut my toenails, struggling to wipe my butt, um, you know, only ever wearing like flip-flops or loosely laced shoes because I couldn't bend over to tie them, uh, being out of breath walking up the stairs, um, having to sit like at the end of the table because, you know, that's the only place I could fit. Um, airplane seats, <laughs> you know, um, sorry for the visual, but like even washing fat rolls in the shower, like, that's, yeah. it's, it's a reality, I'd rather not remember either. <laughs> um, you know, things like worrying about having a stroke or heart attack in my 30s. Um, and so I would say, like, look, my, my daily quality of life is so much better. And I wouldn't trade anything to go back there. But there's one other piece of the puzzle, maybe I'll touch on and maybe you've experienced this too. And that is accepting a certain biological reality. So fat cells are the gift that keeps on giving because once they're created, they're always there waiting to be filled again. So you can empty them, you can shrink them, but they're always there waiting. And so if I go back to eating with reckless abandon, I will become obese again. Um, And it's shocking how fast I could regain the weight if I'm not thoughtful what I eat. So maintaining a healthy weight does require some daily effort. And the truth is some days I don't feel like it. But the what I say, thankfully, like my feelings, they're valid. But they don't dictate my eating anymore my daily habits really do because maintaining a healthy weight in the 21st century, like the 21st century world is like. You know it's like if I was going to engineer a world to make people obese like we did it we've done it we've. So trying to maintain a healthy weight in this world that's constantly offering us comfort, it is going to be a challenge. But if you if you acknowledge that and make peace with that reality that some days it's going to be uncomfortable some days you're not going to want to but. If you know that it's worth it, that's what helps you to, to, to keep going.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I'm, I'm glad you touched on all that because the main goal is your happiness. You talked about it earlier that uh, if you became that bodybuilder look, that maybe you'd been happy and you know that's not true. And, and just yeah. maybe being, if you're a big person, you're happy. Maybe you don't need to lose weight. You know, maybe yeah. that's not the thing. I mean, there's some health issues there, but you don't have to lose weight for happiness. So if that's your goal, yeah. it's not going to happen. You know, there's, you, you talk about the underlying things that you had to address outside of weight loss that, you know, it's much more important. So I think that's great. You hear about fitness people that we all should be pushing weight loss and fitness and all this. But so, Hey man, I'm in the happiness game. I want, I want to make you help you become the happiest person you can possibly <laughs> be. So, you know, if that's a fit yeah. person and weight loss and all that, that's great, but I'm not going to force it on you. And I don't think you do as well. That's what you do in your
1: coaching. Absolutely. I, I love that. I love that. I'm in the happiness game, you know, um, yeah. the hard like the, the, the world that we live in, I think, um, they sell us pleasure not happiness
0: uh that's a good point
1: and so i, I wanted to highlight because i think it's important to understand the difference. like pleasure is something that's very short-lived you know you get a like on facebook or or you, maybe you post a picture of you wearing an outfit and everyone tells you how beautiful you look and so on and, and that feels really good but that's pleasure it's not happiness happiness is a much like more like deep-seated contentment in your day-to-day life even though your life isn't perfect and um and i think you probably talk about this the, the probably one of the easiest ways to become happier is to practice daily gratitude.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to you don't have to have a, you know, this, this beautiful handcrafted you know journal that, you know, every pay, you know, like, no, but just find the tiniest thing to be grateful for, because naturally our brains are wired to hunt for negativity. It's a survival mechanism. It's a survival bias. The digital media world And news world takes advantage of this and shows us negativity most of the time, because it will keep our attention that's we're in the attention economy. So if we know that then to practice daily gratitude is to consciously step away from the negativity for a moment. The more times we find something to be grateful for the happier we become overall and it's not to say your life is going to be perfect it's going to have challenges and struggles. But you're going to be able to find joy in those struggles you're going to find a reason to keep going in those struggles. Because ultimately there's there's a deep seated contentment with your life. And maybe I just differentiate between gratitude and entitlement to to highlight this. Somebody who is entitled can never be happy because the best you can do is meet their expectation. That's all you can do. Wow. Yeah. So most of the time they will be angry and disappointed because their expectations are not being met. The inverse of that is gratitude, where you're actually expressing thankfulness for something above your expectation, you know, something more, because really, we were born with nothing, right? This idea that we're born with a sense of entitlement. I mean, thats we're born with nothing. and we, we don't take it with us when we die. Everything really in a life, we could view it as a gift. Even so, the hardest experiences I've gone through, like I've lost my life savings and business failure. I've been nearly murdered. Those are probably two of the biggest things I've, I've had to struggle with. And I'm grateful for both of those experiences now, because they took me to a place, but they, they showed me Like how strong and resilient human beings can actually be that if I didn't go through those experiences I wouldn't know that, and so we can even find gratitude in like our struggles.
0: Man, that's great. Yeah. I think more people need to realize that. And I'm no, I'm no expert. I haven't seen the research on this, but I'm pretty sure that dad jokes can cancel out any negativity (laughs) in the world. And, and congratulations to you, by the way, you're a new dad, right?
1: I I am. I've got a six month old boy and he's the cutest boy in the world. Uh, I absolutely adore him. There's one thing he will not lack and that is love. Um, uh, my boy will know what healthy affection looks like because I will, I will just show him a lot of love, you know, and, and really show him healthy masculinity.
0: That's it, man. So now I, I became a dad, I was I'm a little bit older than some of my friends and I had a kid a little bit, I mean, they're asking me like, so what do you, what, what's your advice? Like, man, just love him. Everything yeah. else kind of takes care of itself. You know, just, you know, don't be that guy. That, uh, Cause you know, before he was born, I was like, man, I want this kid to be the best football player in the world and be president and all <laughs> that. And then right before he's born, I was like, man, just let him be healthy. You know, that's yeah. all I want. Yeah.
1: It's
0: yeah that, 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 that was it. Yeah. So, so now that you're a newfound dad, man, I gotta, I gotta ask you, can you, do you have any dad jokes?
1: Uh, if you asked my wife that question, she'd roll her eyes cause I've got a whole catalog of them. Yes. I've, been like, I've been like waiting for this moment. So <laughs> I, I thought maybe the most appropriate one though is like, when does a dad joke become a dad joke? I don't know. When the punchline becomes apparent. <laughs>
0: See, that's what I'm talking about. You're a professional already.
1: <laughs> uh, the other answer to that question, when does a dad joke become a dad joke uh, when it's full grown?
0: See, that one, my wife would agree with that one right there. She she was full grown yesterday. I She's she's like, oh, I'm going to start putting a limit on you. I was like, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Can't stop, okay. won't stop. Uh,
1: well, okay, I, I'll put one more out there. There this you is go. My, this is my favorite one um, prior to the, the dad joke, becoming a dad joke. And that is, um, what did the grape say when the elephant sat on it? I don't know nothing he just let out a little wine
0: (laughs) see man are you are you like my brother from another mother
1: (laughs) hey i do i do have i do have ginger genetics as well it comes Um, up more more in my beard than my hair but i I believe my my little fella it look is looking a lot like he's going to be a little ginger so blue eyed ginger
0: he's destined for great things then.
1: so that's just it
0: hey coach john if people want to work with you man what's the best way to get in touch with you
1: you can check out freedomnutritioncoach.com. That's my website. Um I will be uh I will be um launching another podcast called Wellness Unplugged and I think that's there's gonna be great conversations like this happening and I think I'm I'm wanting you to be a guest on there too. Oh, I'd love uh, to. Yeah. So I have I have what's called a vanity URL. Um so it's easy to remember. So it's um no FN diets dot rocks. So no, it's a joke because my, my company is Freedom Nutrition Coaching, right? So FN is the initials. So I mean, no FN diets. <laughs> uh, so no FN diets dot rocks um, forward slash wellness dash unplugged dash podcast. Um, the other thing is maybe I could give people a, a free resource to, to help yeah. them. Uh, I put together an ebook guide called crush your cravings. And it's really to help people who deal with like nighttime snacking. Um, maybe they, they feel like they're moving into that uncontrolled eating territory. Here's using food for things that maybe they shouldn't be using food for. This is really a way to help with that. Um, so again, no FN forward slash crush dash your dash cravings. Um, if you go there, put in your email address and name. I'll email you a copy of my ebook, crush your cravings. And uh, like four, four key strategies to help you, um, take, take steps towards overcoming that emotional eating that nighttime snack and the stuff that's really holding you back from getting to where you want to go.
0: Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. I'll I'll link all that in show notes in case you didn't get that. And I will link that in the show notes, get it to you, man. And coach John, I would highly recommend working with this guy. Someone that has been there before has walked in your shoes can really get you there a lot faster than someone who had, and i am just speaking from experience right here. So thank you so much for coming on and thank you for what you're doing out in the world as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. And thank, and thank you for what you're doing as well. Very genuinely. Um, and, you're absolutely going to be be guest on my podcast because i want to i want to shine a light on some of your story because i think you've got a brilliant story as well and maybe more people need to hear it so they can be inspired and encouraged.
0: Well, i appreciate that, man. Keep up the good work and we'll stay in touch.
1: Sounds good. Thank you.
0: Hey, thank you so much for tuning in that episode. I really appreciate you being here. I also really appreciate our sponsors I'm very grateful for them to help us spread the word of positivity out there So please go out and support them go fly on breeze airways So I flew on them not too long ago. and I want to tell you a little bit more about them So their tagline is seriously nice. Is that what your airline is? Most of them aren't these days Check them out. What they do is they serve underserved markets like Huntsville, Alabama where I am You could hardly ever get a direct flight but I got a direct flight to New Orleans from here, 52 minutes in the air. It was amazing. We did get delayed on the way there and coming back, but guess what? Every step of the way, they told us what was going on, why we were delayed, and they compensated us as well. And what airline does that for you as well? So you need to check them out. They're combining technology and kindness that's a pretty awesome way to do it, right? Go check out flybreeze.com and see if they're in your area. If not, you need to tell them to come here. Go nag them until they come to your area. You got to fly them. You got to check them out. Nice people flying, nice people. That's what you want. Also, Apparelab. When you fly on Breeze Air, well, you need to be looking swanky in your t-shirts and your hats, all that. Whatever you need. They can put your face on them. We've done that for people. Go to apparelab.co, not .com, .co. Check out their merch catalog, and if you need some ideas of what you can do, they've got some great examples right there. Go check them out. Use Promo code relentless, save yourself some money. Go check that out. Also, go refinance your house or at least check out your numbers with my guy Dominic Garver. His website is rocketcitymortgageguy.com or you can call him at 256 714 1429. So, he recently just sold, saved a local veteran 10 years off his loan and also lowered his monthly payment. Hey, it's just worth the time to go check him out. Call him or go to his website let him run your numbers. He's not going to sell you on extra stuff. He's just going to try to help you out. Great dude. Go check him out. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Go out and support our sponsors. We really appreciate them. Have a great day.